Amen. Good morning. How is everybody? Fantastic. So a lot of times writing a sermon is a lot like shopping for a car. Couple of, several years ago, the Shade family was in the market for a car, and so after some looking around, we settled on, hey, let's get a Ford Explorer. And of course, as happens when you're car shopping, every single car after this on the road, it's like, there's an Explorer, there's an Explorer. It's like I had never seen Ford Explorers, and my eyes had been opened to see the glory of the Lord. It was like cars that I didn't know were Explorers weren't, and they were suddenly, my mind was turning them into Explorers. I even found out the Mercury Mountaineer is literally the exact same thing as a Ford Explorer. Oh my word. Well, to make matters worse, uh, we finally got the exact car we were gonna buy and it was in, hello light, it was in Springfield. And so we drove over to Springfield to go get this car. Around that time, here's what the back of Ford Explorers looked like. Okay, we saw our exact Ford Explorer and it had a little something like this. I was like, whoa. I will not be having a crack on the back of my car. That's not a thing. Well, the salesman assured me this is actually very common on Ford Explorers of this era. And uh, thanks to my master negotiation skills, it gave us a nice little discount. But then, now not only have I seen all these Ford Explorers, but sure enough, every single one had the exact same type of crack. <sighs> okay, great. So now not only am I seeing Ford Explorers everywhere, but I'm seeing the Ford Explorer crack everywhere I go. <laughs> awesome. It's so ubiquitous that once you see it, and I'm sorry that I've now burdened you with that same thing, you won't unsee it. The same has been true of me as I've prepared to teach this morning on power. When I was assigned the sermon, I started thinking, hey, cool, you know, I'll start looking at the Bible, rooting around, seeing if I can find a couple things on power. I'll pay attention to the world around me, see what I can bring in. But I didn't have to pay attention to the world around me and I didn't have to explore because apparently power is the Ford Explorer of the sermon topic market, okay? It has come and hit me in the face. Power is everywhere. Every day since then, I've seen power, 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 power is everywhere. In the Bible, some 300 plus times in all these various different forms of the word. Power has been a big part of our chapel sermon series this semester, whether you know it or not. It's been part of all these different topics in the pursuit of wisdom. Sexuality, you betcha. Money, power is part of that. Conflict, yeah, power. Next week, we're going to talk about the tongue. You better believe power is part of that too. Our words have a lot of power. Yes, they do. And power is all over culture, right? People that don't have it, they want it. And people that have it, they want more of it. It's like this drug that people can't stop getting their hands on. Give me power, give me power. Yes. Politicians all over Washington, D.C. are so thirsty for it. They'd rather have power than money. It's crazy. Disney villains, they're no strangers to invoking power. Hell. 
beloved TV characters want a piece of the action. We need someone to work this Saturday. And I think that that should be Jim. This is so sad. This is the smallest amount of power I've ever seen go to someone's head. But the craziest thing I've seen as I've been looking for all this power, I came across this quote on social media, and it was from this book called The 48 Laws of Power. I want to read to you a couple things from this here little book, and I promise you what I'm about to say to you, what I'm about to read, is verbatim from an actual real book that I'm holding in my hands. Law number three, conceal your intentions. Keep people off balance and in the dark by never revealing the purpose behind your actions. If they have no clue what you're up to, they cannot prepare a defense. Guide them far enough down the wrong path, envelop them in enough smoke, and by the time they realize your intentions, it will be too late. What? How about law number 12? Use selective honesty and generosity to disarm your victim. Victim. One sincere and honest move will cover over dozens of dishonest ones. Open-hearted gestures of honesty and generosity bring down the guard of even the most suspicious people. Once your selective honesty opens a hole in their armor, you can deceive and manipulate them at will. Okay, nice. Uh, Let's look at one more. Uh, How about law number 42? Strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Trouble can often be traced to a single strong individual, the stirrer, the arrogant underling, the poisoner of goodwill. If you allow such people room to operate, others will succumb to their influence. Do not wait for the troubles they cause to multiply. Do not try to negotiate with them. They are irredeemable. Neutralize their influence by isolating or banishing them. Strike at the source of the trouble and the sheep will scatter. Wah! Okay, that's just three examples. There are 45 more in this book within these pages. You can't make this stuff up. So here's what I've learned from all this reading and studying about power. The world tells us we have to do everything we can to grab at power and never let it go. The world tells us that meekness is weakness. The world tells us that we have to elevate ourselves and our status. The world tells us to clutch at power like the world's most precious jewel. The world tells us that if we don't do these things, that we are weak and we are powerless. And we find ourselves here in the middle of Holy Week. Started on Sunday with Palm Sunday, and it'll end with the resurrection of Jesus Christ this coming Saturday. The salvation of all humanity. The single most powerful event in history. And yet our Jesus was being mocked, scorned, spat at, laughed at. And sure, he could have chosen to use all this type of power we've just talked about to get out of this situation, to save himself from this circumstance. But he chose not to. Jesus chose a different path. (laughs) And so ironically enough, while everyone is saying, hey, grab hold of power, get it with all you can, Jesus decides not to. And the result is the most powerful event in history. Wait, 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 this is too good. You're telling me that the world is like, get power, get power, get power. And Jesus is like, nah, I'm good. It's cool. But watch this, most powerful thing to ever happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's too good. Jesus is the ultimate paradigm flipper. 
But that's the middle of our story this morning. Like, we're at Jesus, but how did Jesus get this power? Where did it come from? How did it get to him? And we all know that eventually Jesus goes back to heaven. What happens to the power then? Where does it go? Well, perhaps we should spend some time this morning tracing that power. Let's do that. Let's go back to the very beginning. Creation, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, I'd say that's a pretty powerful uh, thing that kind of happened there. How about the burning bush in Exodus 3? And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. Okay, so that's kind of powerful. This bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. And uh, now God is speaking out of it. Okay, that seems kind of powerful. How about the Red Sea, Exodus 14? Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove it back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Can you imagine the power of that moment? How about Joshua chapter 10, when the sun stands still? Never heard of this one? It's pretty cool. At Joshua's request, God literally stops the sun and the moon for like a day so that the Israelites can win in battle. How about the fleece? In Judges chapter six, Gideon is told by God, hey, you're going to be the one that are gonna save my people. And Gideon's like, okay. Tell you what, God, uh, we'll believe that when you show me a sign. I'm gonna put this fleece out on the threshing floor. Tomorrow morning, I want it to be soaking wet and all the ground around it to be dry. Of course, God being God, done. And Gideon's like, ah, that ain't quite good enough. I need a little more. Let's flip that. Tomorrow morning, fleece, dry, ground, wet. And of course, we know our God. It happened because God is powerful. Here's one of my favorite stories. Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Oh man, this is a good one. Uh, Elijah, he's the only prophet of Yahweh remaining. There's these 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah's like, hey, people, you got to pick one or the other. You can't choose both. So he's like, I got a little contest for us. Let's have these altars. We're going to put a bull on them. And we're going to call to our gods for power, for fire to come raining down and consume it. Well, as you know, Baal, nothing. Elijah starts mocking these prophets. Ah, he's just asleep, you know, talk louder, wake him up. Nothing happens. Then Elijah, he's feeling good. So he's like, hey, uh, let's pour water on there. And again, and again, cool. All right, God, do your stuff. Foosh, consumes the whole thing. How about Daniel? The book of Daniel, chapter three. Oh boy, we've already talked about fire not consuming things. Well, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and somebody else are in this fiery furnace, <laughs> but they're good. How about Daniel chapter five? This hand appears out of nowhere and starts writing on the wall. Many, many, tekel, parson. Daniel chapter six, homeboy gets thrown into the lion's den with a hungry lion, but he's good the next day. God is so powerful. God has originated this power, but then it has to go somewhere. Jesus has to get it. Let's trace that as well into the New Testament. Fish and the loaves, John chapter six. One of Jesus' disciples says, hey, we got all these people. They're super hungry. There's this boy and he's got five barley loaves and two fish, but here's a nibble. You know, what are we going to do? 
Jesus says, easy guy. He prays to God, he breaks the bread, fish, gives it to all 5,000 men. Don't forget the women and children that aren't even counted in that number. Okay, lots more. And when everyone has had their fill, Jesus says, all right, disciples, go get the leftovers. 12 baskets later, Jesus is powerful. How about the paralytic in Mark 2? This is one of the first stories I ever remember. There's this man, he's been lame since birth, can't walk. His friends want to help him get to Jesus, but the room Jesus is in is too crowded, so they make a hole in the roof, lower him down. Jesus says, son, not only are your sins forgiven, (laughs) watch this. Hey, get up and take your mat and walk. Sure enough, power, out he goes. Mark 5, we got three right in a row examples of Jesus' power. There's legion and all his craziness going on. Jesus says, here you go, demons, go into those pigs and oink, 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 off they go off the cliff, right? (laughs) Then Jesus is on his way to Jairus' house to take care of Jairus' sleeping daughter. And this woman who's had a flow of blood for 12 years just touches Jesus. She's good. And then sure enough, Jesus does go right on to Jairus' house. He says, my friend, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. Get up. And she does. Healing of a blind man in John chapter 9. This man's been blind since birth. Kind of gross, but Jesus spits on the ground, makes some mud, puts it on his eyes. After the man washes in the pool of Siloam, he's good. He can see. Lazarus, John chapter 11. Jesus is there four days late. Martha's like, I, he's my brother and I love him, but he smells so bad if we open this rock. Jesus says, watch this. He prays to God and says, through God's power, here we go. Lazarus, come out. Dead man walking, here he comes. Lest we forget Jesus' own resurrection after allowing himself to be killed. The man raises from the dead. This is the power of God working through Jesus. God passed that power onto Jesus when he came to earth. To learn more about that, Ephesians chapter one. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So Jesus is just carrying this tradition of this power right on. So we've got it down. God gave the power to Jesus. Jesus is using it, but eventually Jesus ascends. So does he take it to heaven? Where does this power go? Let's keep reading more. We'll find out. John chapter 20, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Or how about moving forward a little bit to Acts chapter one, verse five. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. A few verses later, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Following on to Acts chapter two, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it all comes together in Romans chapter eight. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. 
Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So where is that power now? It is in each and every one of us. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and in me. The same power with which God did everything we traced from the Old Testament through Jesus, through now this indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that power, you and I have access to that. Oh yes, that is amazing. The Holy Spirit power is alive in me. Wow. Oh no, this is terrifying. I don't wanna wield that kind of power. I don't want that level of responsibility. I can't trust myself. I can't trust my flesh. I know what uh, Galatians 5 says. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Oh my word. So how on earth then do we wield this power we have with all wisdom and with responsibility? Friends, that answer is easy. All I gotta do is go to the literally the very next verse of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So if you are allowing the Spirit to guide you in your use of Holy Spirit power, it will be plainly evident by the fruit you bear. Oh, church, but we must be so careful. There is danger in wielding Holy Spirit power because Satan is devious and Satan is malicious and Satan has power. I personally have often been scared of that power, but recently had a revelation through a study we did at church that has helped me in this. Yeah, Satan has power, and I need to be aware of that. And I shouldn't take it lightly, but in comparison to God's omnipotence, Satan's power is nothing. The power of Satan pales in comparison to the omnipotence of Jesus Christ. Perhaps put another way, The created will never defeat the creator. So rest easy, church, because God's got this. But we must continue to be on the alert because even though Satan is defeated and he knows he's defeated, he's going to do everything in his power to try to get you to pervert the Holy Spirit power that is within us. Take Samson as an example. Man, he had been imbued with all sorts of power from God, but he played fast and loose with it. He didn't wield it with all the wisdom. There was no semblance of him doing what God had asked him to do. For crying out loud, he allowed Delilah to shave off his beautiful flowing hair. And in so happening, he was robbed of his Holy Spirit power, this God-given power. Satan let Samson sneak into his life and tell him lies about the Holy Spirit power dwelling within him. I want to caution you to not follow that same path. Because just like Samson's issues with understanding God's power and the Holy uh, Spirit power at work within him, Satan will often come in and try to make you think that you are bigger than or above the power that the Holy Spirit has given you. 
as leaders in the church, this is very dangerous ground to tread. Each time we fall prey to Satan's deceit, it robs us of Holy Spirit power. What does this look like? I want to give you some examples this morning. Abuse of positions of power. As leaders in the church, you are going to find yourselves in powerful positions on a daily basis. It will be easy to abuse that power through word or deed in your interactions with others. And in so doing, you will rob yourself of Holy Spirit power. Those don't work. Let's try these. Backups, just in case. There we go. Lying. As a minister, your word carries a lot of weight. People inherently believe what you have to say. And so when you mess up, perhaps you tell a lie to protect yourself and your leadership. And when you do so, you rob yourself of Holy Spirit power. Gossip. You perpetuate a potentially false rumor because knowledge is power and putting someone else down elevates you and that robs you of Holy Spirit power. Jealousy, envy. Someone else got the internship you wanted. Your roommate's engaged, you can't even get a date. Somebody else got the senior minister position at the church that you wanted to preach at and you know that you're a better preacher. The bitterness you harbor and the elitism you feel creates separation and robs you of Holy Spirit power. How about racism? The majority of the people in this room are white. Unfortunately, in America, there is often privilege that comes along with that. And because of that privilege, you might be blind to the racism happening all around you. But hear me, racism is alive and well in this country. You can choose not to believe it. You can choose to ignore it. But it's true and it's real. And when you choose that path, accepting privilege as the status quo, and you don't fight for equality and unity, you rob yourself of Holy Spirit power. Money. Financial disparity creates a huge divide and friends, it ain't getting any smaller. I wanna remind you of what you learned a few weeks ago your use of money exposes your theology. Guys, there's enough in this world for everyone's need, but there's not enough in this world for everyone's greed. And so when you use your socioeconomic status as a form of power over someone else, this robs you of Holy Spirit power. How about sexual abuse? Guys, this is rampant. I'm sick and tired of leaders in the church uh, taking advantage of those in their care. There's a monumental amount of faith people will put in you as a minister. People will be at their most vulnerable with you. They will lay bare their emotions, share their, share their deepest, darkest secrets and moments. Don't you dare exploit this sacred trust by exerting power over someone in the form of sexual abuse or other unwanted sexual advance, I beg you, because in so doing, you rob yourself of Holy Spirit power. Well, interestingly, there's another side of this same coin. There's what we've just talked about when we exert our power over other people. But there's also the moments when we find ourselves in a vulnerable position and others are trying to exert power over us. In these moments too, Satan will try to rob us of Holy Spirit power by making us think we're lower than we already perceive to be. Here are some examples of this lie. Let's go back to some of the ones we even looked at already. Gossip, 
For one reason or another, you have been victimized by an untruth told about you. It was embarrassing and humiliating and you still haven't recovered. And through that, Satan tried to rob you of Holy Spirit power. I'm sorry that happened to you. It's there somewhere. Here we go. Money. Some of us in this room grew up without much. Perhaps this made you feel inferior. And through it all, Satan was trying to rob you of Holy Spirit power. I'm sorry that this was your experience. You need to know that the amount of earthly wealth you have does not matter in God's kingdom economy. How about family? There are some of us in this room who have been hurt deeply by our families. Perhaps that hurt came through psychological abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse. Those wounds, whatever they may be, they run deep. And because of those experiences, Satan has tried to rob you of Holy Spirit power by keeping you down. It's time for you to rise up. Sexual abuse. Guys, I am a victim of sexual abuse. At one point in my life, I experienced the most humiliating moments when a youth ministry intern at my church took advantage of the close relationship that we had. And in so doing, Satan tried to rob me of Holy Spirit power. And I'm not alone in that in this room. There are others of you here this morning who have suffered the same humiliation. You too have experienced Satan trying to rob you of Holy Spirit power through the experience of someone making unwanted sexual advances to you. And for that, I'm really sorry. Racism. For some of you who are students of color, you have not had the same privileges as those in the ethnic majority in this country. You have been put in a position to not receive the benefit of the doubt simply because of the color of skin you were born with. But you are beautiful and your skin is perfect. You don't enjoy the same privilege in this country that your white brothers and sisters do. But that equality is devastating and it is disgusting. You were forced to have different conversations about safety with your friends and family than white people do. And I hate that. Satan has tried to rob you of Holy Spirit power, but you need to know that we stand with you and we fight alongside you. You have a place in the church, you have a voice in the church, and I'm sorry for the times it feels like you don't. You are leaders in the church, and I'm sorry for the times that you've been made to feel like you aren't. I want to be led by you, and I want to lead alongside of you. Finally, women. You have been told, probably both explicitly and implicitly, that you don't matter in the church and that you don't have a place or a voice. You've been told that because you were born with a different anatomy than a man, that you're not allowed to use the gifts and talents God has blessed you with, that is just simply not true and that is not the God I serve. Whether male or female, we are all God's image bearers. And therefore, we can only assume that there's a part of God's voice missing from the church if women are being silenced. Some of you will be out front leaders, some of you behind the scenes, some of you somewhere in between. But whatever the role, you have a place in the church and a seat at the table. You are leaders in the church, you have a voice in the church. I want to hear from you, I want to be taught by you, I want to be led by you, and I want to lead alongside of you. Satan has tried to hold you down by robbing you of Holy Spirit power. No more. 
certainly, there are infinitely more examples that we could share, but you guys get the idea. Regardless of his constant defeat, Satan will do everything he can to bring you down, to stop the Holy Spirit work within you, to stop the fruit of the Spirit from shining through. Do not let that happen. Here's what I've held from you up till this point. I wanna give you some insight onto how we can take all these different ideas of power and bring it all together. When Jesus relinquished that power during Holy Week, he wasn't releasing all his power. He was just letting go of worldly power. But the power we've talked about all morning, the power we've traced all the way through the Bible up to now where it's within you and me, that was holy power. You see, friends, there are two distinct types of power, and we have to learn to separate them from the other. Think about how Satan tried to tempt Jesus into using worldly power. Hey, Jesus, turn those rocks to turn into bread and take care of yourself. Throw yourself off the temple and let these angels come and save you. Look at this world all around you. It can be yours if you will but bow down and worship me. Or how about Jesus' experience on the cross? Hey, king of the Jews, if you're so powerful, come down and save yourself. All of these were efforts to get Jesus to use power to take care of Jesus. And that is worldly power. But then think about the times when Jesus did chose to show his power. Remember this list we looked at from the New Testament earlier? The fish and the loaves, the paralytic, legion, the woman with the flow of blood, Jairus' daughter, the man born, born blind, Lazarus, Jesus' own resurrection. You know what each of those share in common? Not a single one was self-motivated, out of self-interest or self-preservation. They were all done to be focused on taking care of others. And that is holy power. And so there's our distinction. I don't know why we haven't seen it all along. It's so clear. Worldly power is all about me before you. But holy power is all about you before you. And so if you want to pursue worldly power and follow Jesus in, or excuse me, Satan, whoa, in saying, I matter more than you do, go ahead. But if you want to follow holy power, that says you matter more than me. Look at these two lists again. One of them says, I matter, me, take care of myself. But the other one, the fruit of the spirit, says, I'm going to do everything in my power to take care of you and what Jesus has put in you. They don't look the same. So you can embrace one version of power or the other, but not both. You can follow Satan on a path to worldly power, looking out for yourself, or you can follow Jesus in the pursuit of holy power, choosing others before yourself. Do the hard work of pruning out, whole, uh, pruning out worldly power that the fruit of the spirit might see itself to completion and fullness. Turns out the world was right all along. We do need to grab a hold of power and hold on to it with all we can. But because of Jesus, the ultimate paradigm flipper, we're holding on to the holy power of the Holy Spirit at work within each one of us. That's the power I choose to follow, and I pray that you'll join me in doing the same.